It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. If you've been listening to the show for at least a few months, you probably know that I love taking road trips. I got very passionate about that about three years ago. In 2019, I drove my then new car. Now it's about four years old, but in 2019, it was, I had had it for about a year and I did a road trip to Colorado from Los Angeles and it just ignited something in me that I hadn't really prioritized before. I started being interested in camping and road trips in 2012, but it felt like this kind of far off thing. Like, you know, I had to get get the right car. I had to get a trailer or an RV or something. I needed to have money for all of this. And the 2019 trip was very minimal. And it showed me how just having a car and and enough money to pay for gas and some places to stay was really all I needed. And then in 2020, I took a cross-country trip in the same car and also recognized the same thing, but got hooked on it. So over the past few years, I've been studying car camping and the adjacent lifestyle of RV trips. So when today's guest, Jill was interested in coming on this show with her background in living in an RV. (laughs) I was instantly interested. And then to add in the element of paying off debt, which is part of Jill's journey, budgeting, being frugal, as is the topic of her podcast, the Frugal Friends podcast. I have so many curiosities and interests in what Jill has to say today. So thank you so much for being here, Jill. I can't wait to see what directions we go. And plus the mental health side of things that you're doing. I mean, you're kind of in perfect alignment for me, at least. That's amazing. What a beautiful introduction. And I'm so curious to hear about your road tripping experience. Oh my God. And go on our own little trip and journey in this podcast. There is something really unique about road trips that you miss out on in flying somewhere. The things that you get to see, the stop off points, the surprise happening, sometimes welcomed, sometimes unwelcomed. But it's such a beautiful way to travel. I'm so thrilled you got that experience. And doing it in a car, that's next level. I had an RV, so definitely a lot more amenities when it comes to traveling in an RV. For sure. And there's part of me that really wants to try that one day. And I just saw a video yesterday of someone that looked like maybe they were in a van, not an RV, that was cooking like this full meal on a stove while camping. And I'm thinking, wow, like what a luxury. (laughs) Not only have I traveled in my car, but I have a small sedan. It's not some big car and not even an SUV, not a hatchback. And so certainly there've been a lot of challenges with it. But in a way, 
I don't know. I don't feel like I need anything more than that. And that's been kind of a positive experience with this too, is more of the minimalism side of it, not Mm -hmm. just financially, because I didn't have to buy another piece of equipment or another vehicle to do these trips. But because it's small, I had to think about everything differently and pack differently and probably ended up saving money, certainly on gas. My car is electric. So that has also made a big difference. But I guess number one, that must be so expensive. If you're trying to be frugal, how do you do that while living in an RV with the cost of of gas, especially these days? So for us and my husband and I, we've been married for 10 years now and we lived in a RV two different times at two different points. So a total of a little over two years, we've done that version of tiny living. And our main impetus for engaging in that lifestyle was primarily non-traditional housing or living within our means. We couldn't afford or maybe didn't want to afford a house, uh, didn't feel the need for it, but also wanted some version of housing that felt congruent with our lifestyle and our finances. And I I did really want to pay off my student loan debt and just having a really hard time identifying how to do that with a social work job. <laughs> For those who don't know, social workers do not get paid a ton of money. That's not why we enter into the field. And my husband was self-employed at the time. So our reason for living in an RV was mainly financial and living within our means and exploring non-traditional housing options. So a lot of people did assume when we bought the RV, where are you going to travel? And we did do some of that, but it was primarily stationary where we We had our RV and we just lived our lives out of that RV. And did that save a lot of money? Because I I guess I'm kind of ignorant on what that's like. And thank you for clarifying. Because for me, I automatically think, oh, you're traveling in it, right? But absolutely, you can stay in one place. And I've heard a little bit. I've also been to a number of RV parks on my trips and was surprised by people that were staying there, like, you know, long-term, there were people that were living at some of these properties kind of indefinitely. And I didn't even really know, I guess I, I definitely knew that people lived in RV parks, but I almost thought they were separate. Like, uh, (laughs) you know, the RV parks on a, on a trip were like for travelers. And then there were different RV parks for people that lived there. Is that incorrect? Or is it kind of can be either go either way? It can go either way. Usually it's a blend. Usually campgrounds will have spots for people who want to more long-term park as well as people who are going to come for a few days to a week at a time. We mostly parked on friends' properties or people that we met through the internet, just putting out... that, Because that's usually one of the most difficult things to find is a place to park your RV long-term. For anyone who's interested in doing this as a lifestyle, I think that's the most important thing to figure out first, I would say even before sinking money into this vehicle that you live in, especially so for us, we were in the North at the time we were outside Philadelphia and winter happens in a real way (laughs) there. So many of the campgrounds that even allowed year round parking or 
longer term parking wouldn't allow you to park there in the winter. You've got issues of pipes freezing and all of that. So at most, you could maybe find a place to stay for eight months out of the year. So for us, we had to get creative with where could we park it and stay long term and not get kicked out after eight months. But it still did have some moving around for us. But to answer your other question about money savings, I would say, as with anything, there's a way to do the lifestyle in an inexpensive way. And there's a way to engage in the lifestyle in a very expensive way, right? There are million, multi-million dollar RVs out there. There is the potential. I know a lot of a big trend right now is renovating school buses into RVs. And while it's so cool, that is not inexpensive. You're talking at least six figures to renovate a school bus into, oh yeah, at least. (laughs) So you really got to know that it's what you want to do before you sink six figures into this school bus that also isn't made for the highway, right? School buses are made for like city roads going a few miles each day. So people run into a lot of engine issues with that as well. And so we chose the route of less expensive. So for us, it certainly was cost effective. It it did what we had set out to do, which was to save money on our living expenses. We bought used RVs that we found on Facebook Marketplace. My husband and I do have a background in renovations. We had a little business doing renovations. My husband's more the skilled laborer. I do a lot of the finish work, but we were able to renovate both of the RVs that we lived in and make them really homey and cozy and fit all of our needs. So that was a bit of an investment. But overall, once we were able to find a place to park, living expenses month to month, a fraction of the cost of living in a house or an apartment is just tinier. So it's less to heat, less to cool, less to clean, less to take care of. So even when you talk about resource, not just financial resource, it took less energy, less time, all of those types of resources in even cleaning it and maintaining it. And there are some maintenance pieces to it. I don't want to paint this picture like there's nothing that you need to be concerned about. Definitely things that need to be taken care of. But one of the things or a few things that also surfaced for me that I wasn't realizing. So I I had hoped that it would help me financially, but it also opened my eyes to a lot of other things about the way that I live and really eliminated some things that I thought I valued, but turns out I didn't really make some lifestyle shifts that have stuck with me. Right now, I don't live in a tiny home. I have It's not a massive home, but I live in a home now, a single house. And some of the things that I have taken with me, and so you know, minimalism and waste reduction and sustainability and in living in a more environmentally friendly way, it it did an incredible amount to for me personally as far as growth and connection to self and really identifying what do i value and how do i want to live that out wow i imagine that it would and and to me that sounds so appealing but i imagine it's a a big jump at least so you have the background to renovate which is really cool because for someone like me who doesn't that feels so daunting i you know, it'd be that big debate of, do I get something new that's more expensive, but I don't have to do anything to it? Or do I learn how to fix things? And, you know, I see these videos of people 
getting a van and like building a whole living space in there from scratch. And part of me is just thinking, wow, I guess I could do, I'm sure I could do it, but like the amount of work and figuring out like even the expenses of it, you know, as I'm sure you, you think a lot about when it comes to these things too, it's like, where do you go and buy something? When are you getting a good deal? When is somebody taking advantage of you? Cause you know, they, you know, what stores do you go to? Like on and on, like I wouldn't even know to begin <laughs> where to begin with renovating something. So when you first decide to do this, I'd love to go back to that journey of deciding. What was it that pushed you into RV living? How long did it take? Like, did you spend a lot of time thinking about it or was it a fairly quick transition from how you were living to living in the RV? Yeah. Great questions. The very first RVs that we lived in was a motor home. So actually larger than the second RV that we lived in. It was about, I want to say 36 feet long, had a bedroom, had a bathroom, all of those things. But at the time I was serving as the director of a home for women who were commercially sexually exploited. And my husband was had his own electrical business. So combined, we did not make much money at all. There were years when we literally financially were living below the poverty line. And it was around that point that I also got it in my head that I wanted to get my master's degree. So already not making a lot of money. We had inexpensive rent, which was great, but we just I just couldn't work out the numbers of I still have student loan debt from my undergraduate program. We, neither one of us make a lot of money. And now I want to go to, into further education. And the type of program I was looking into would require me to let go of my full-time job. So not only cost money, but wouldn't be able to be making as much money. And I also said, <laughs> I had a lot of crazy ideas or like crazy to the common person. I didn't want to take on more student loan debt to get my master's degree. That was a no-go for me. So it really caused my husband and I to think outside the box on, all right, then how do we do this? And thankfully, we both are so supportive of one another's endeavors. The lack of money never hindered us from getting after the thing that either one of us said we wanted to do, which is fantastic. I'm so grateful for that. And so he was super supportive of that. Just how do we do this? And I still remember there was this one time at one point we were on a family vacation with his family at the lake. And my husband is a researcher. He is a problem solver and he just loves to be looking stuff up constantly. It's usually to our benefit, but sometimes it leads us to him wanting to buy a lot of things. But we usually get incredible deals for that reason. But at one point, he was looking up boats and RVs and talking with his dad about wouldn't it be fun to just get an inexpensive boat that the family could have and use in the summers together. And that'd be fun. And through that boat search, an RV popped up. And of course, he goes down that rabbit trail of looking at an RV and then was thinking that'd be a fun way to vacation too. 
and then got it in his head. Well, it has everything that we need. And he starts showing me the pictures. I'm like, that has a bathroom, that has a bedroom, that has a living space. You never are in more than one room at a time that it has everything that we need. What if we lived in an RV? And then we were able to get at these other goals because housing for most of us, it is the most expensive thing. It's the most expensive monthly or lifetime (laughs) expense that we have. So if we could reduce that, that might allow us to get at our goals. So we are quick on it when we make a decision. It happened pretty shortly after that, that we were pulling the trigger on purchasing an RV. I would say within a month, we had purchased an RV. We were still able to live in the apartment that we were renting. We were month to month while we renovated the RV and then moved into the RV. And it truly did help us to get after some of those financial goals. I will also add that with both RVs that we've had, we made a profit on the sale of the RV. So that was primarily what helped us to financially get after some of our goals. So it was the sale. Once we lived in the RV, it was the final sale of it that helped me to pay for my master's degree. We probably made a profit of about $8,000 on that one. And then our second RV, after all expenses and renovations, when we sold it, we made a profit of about $10,000. And the second RV was the down payment on our current house right now. So yeah, a few different ways that we were able to hack it financially, even on a lower income. That is so cool. And I am always drawn to travel hacks and that in itself can get overwhelming for me. For instance, I've started to have an interest in canning food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I I want to learn more about preparation, you know, and it's slowly been creeping into my mind. Unlike a one month decision to an RV, I, I bet you I will have an RV at some point, but probably years down the line, like I've just been kind of examining it, having conversations. It's pretty amazing that that you did all of that in one month. And for me, I'm also a researcher, but that sometimes gets in my way because I feel like I need all the details. For mm-hmm. instance, with canning, I'm like, what do I buy? Where do I start? Like, you know... They say start with what you have, but then like you still need a few extra things. And then, you know, I don't like to buy things if I'm not going to use it. So I I just like start getting in my head and I'm going to procrastinate. Same thing with gardening. I've been wanting to grow some food and I'm slowly starting to get some plants for the windowsill. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Slowly starting to research gardening and like what can I grow out on, on the patio? And so some of these things... I guess it really just depends on your personality, right? Like, do you already have that knowledge and passion for something? I don't think there's any right way. We are all wired in different ways and bring benefit to the world and one another and ourselves in the ways that we approach it. So I think it's also beautiful to be very prepared before you jump into a decision, right? It's not either one has maybe some downsides to it, but also some beauty to it. It's interesting that you say that because I, I too am gardening and it is so life-giving to me. And I, this is the first year that I have really my own 
garden. I've gardened at other places in the past, but this really felt like my biggest deep dive into it. I have raised beds right now and it's not without trial and error. I certainly, I was just, I have a friend staying in town with me right now. And I was saying to her, my cucumbers are getting eaten up by something. There's some sort of insect. They, They were doing so good. And all of a sudden, they are just shriveling away to nothing. Everything else in my garden beds are doing great. I'm like, I'm going to have to look this up. And then she says, oh, there's this book about planting certain things together that brings the good pests and insects rather than the ones that you may not want. And I'm like, you know, it's amazing to me. There's actually something really exciting to me that I feel even as I've entered into the world of gardening that there is infinite amount to learn and know. There's something that can be really overwhelming about that, but then there's something that is so exciting that I will never arrive. There's always something new to discover and uncover and try my hands at. But for me, I said to her, I would rather begin and then discover what is it that I need to know and really what's relevant to me. could be selfish. (laughs) Like I could have read all of the books, but then I might've learned something that I really don't need to know. (laughs) So for me now, I'm going to look up what's eating my cucumbers because that's relevant to me. And I'm going to keep learning and trying. And there's also a really beautiful process to learning as I go and making my own realizations and not just the realizations that someone else is going to give to me. But all that to say, it's an interesting intersection with what you're saying right now is just talking about that with a friend. I'm like, if I had waited, I don't know if I would have started. It's so true. And I'm grateful that you're saying that because gardening feels so daunting. Kind of similar to the renovation point too, is I have just never had a green thumb, but that doesn't mean I can't develop it. It's just that it makes it a little bit harder for me. And so like you, I love the idea of just starting slowly. So for me, it was buying a basil plant a few months ago and just seeing what happened, like put it in the window. Like, can I keep this thing alive? And it's still alive and thriving. And I've also, I feel bonded to that plant. Like kind of you touched upon this briefly, just that joy you feel with taking care of another living thing. And then I graduated to a tomato plant, which is so far doing okay. But I'm like, oh, there's probably a lot more I could be doing to take care of this plant so I could go research it a little. And it's kind of a fun project because you're right. There's always like little problems to solve and hopefully the rewards are good. So did you get into gardening because of frugal living or was this kind of a separate interest of yours? I'm sure it goes hand in hand. I certainly see frugality and the frugal lifestyle as as a lifestyle, not just this separate part of me, but certainly plays into a lot of the decisions that I make. And, and the way that I define frugality is good stewardship of resources. It doesn't just have to do with finances for me, but all resources. How am I stewarding that? Of course, it does blend into finances, and we talk about that a lot. And so I think in that regard, gardening for me, the draw to it is a lot of things. An outlet 
that feels life-giving. So as I talked about earlier, I do have my background in social work. And so a lot of the work that I do with people is difficult work. And there's a lot of trauma that I encounter on a day-to-day basis. And so part of self-care for me is working with my hands in a variety of ways. I think renovations provided that to me for a time. Redoing furniture, painting rooms, demoing (laughs) is quite cathartic. And gardening cultivating, nurturing, making connections between what's happening in my life and what I see going on in the garden and the metaphors that can happen in the garden. And I think there's a lot that draws me to it. Certainly, I also enjoy gardening that produces something for me. I love flowers. And of course, I'm I'm excited to have a flower garden. But I started with veggies because I also wanted to be purposeful. And there is nothing more satisfying to me, at least at this point in my life, than eating green beans straight out of my garden and providing for my husband and I a meal straight from my garden and having the fresh herbs and and watching the things grow in my backyard. So there's quite a few layers. And certainly, you know, composting has become a part of my lifestyle, which absolutely is connected to frugality, which is connected to ecosystem and waste reduction. And why compost unless you've got some fruits and veggies that are going to eat that stuff up? So lots of things intersecting for me. That's my long answer to why I'm gardening. It's very contagious. And it made me think of last year, almost exactly a year ago, I went to my friend Tony's place. Tony's been on the show a few times. She actually writes about budgeting around the plant-based way of eating. And I went to her backyard and was just in complete awe. It wasn't a huge space, but the amount of things she was able to grow. And we went and we picked fresh tomatoes for the dinner that we had and a few other veggies. I don't remember what they were, but, you know, just that amazing abundance. And and speaking of frugality, I think plants are one of the most abundant things that we can look at almost at any point, like most people, even if they live in a city, can find some plants outside their windows. Otherwise, it's kind of sad, right? But even (laughs) if you put some plants in your window, that's what I think about when I look at my little windowsill garden right now, that it just is amazing, all the leaves on the tomato plant, you know, and, and then that it keeps growing, keeps giving you more. Unlike before I got the tomato plant, I would always go buy tomatoes at the store and they'd be in plastic containers. I was paying money for something that I would use up and then I'd have to go buy more of it. And this plant I've paid for once and so far haven't done anything else except give it water. And it's giving me fruit over and over again. And it's just like, Amazing. I mean, it's such a cool reminder that I think in this time, many people feel frustrated, scared, maybe powerless. There's a lot of intense things happening with our government and with our health as the world and like, you know, just things that can feel very threatening. And to be reminded that there are small things we can do, like growing our own plants that let us focus on something that's bringing joy, but also giving back to us and simultaneously saving money, I think is so healing. 
Mm-hmm. And I know you have a passion for mental health too. So just like taking note of the things that we can do that we do have some control over and the ripple effect that that can have on us, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wherever we can engage in things that are life-giving to us. And I know that that's different for every person. I get so excited about gardening, but that's not going to be everybody's circumstances. But it does. It does empower me. It does give me joy in life. I think just being outdoors, I think we all need to see living things and growth and breathe in fresh air and sunshine And that doesn't have to mean that you garden, but finding something that is life-giving and within our control. I think certainly now, and even if we were to think back to over the past two years, what we've walked through, not to mention whatever anybody's life was pre-2020, but certainly 2020 and up until present, we've not gone through easy things as a society, as a nation, as a globe. And that has the potential of really wiping us out, of defeating and deflating and instilling fear and worries and anxiety. And I love what you're highlighting here. And one of the concepts that I will talk about often with my clients is voice, power, and control, or voice, power, and relationship. (laughs) Power and control kind of go hand in hand, but voice, power, and relationship are really key markers of personhood, of humanity, that we all have voice, power, relationship. Sometimes it feels stifled. Sometimes relationship feels interrupted. Sometimes power feels taken or misplaced. But when we are thinking about the individual level, this is a really helpful, it's been a helpful anchor for me at least to think about what is my voice? What is within my power? Where is their relationship that feels life-giving, aimed at well-being? And to really lean into that, I think it does take effort and intentionality to engage ourselves in those components. Of course, all the other things that might take that away are readily available, but to be paying attention to where is their expression of self, right? This voice concept, identity, who I am, how I express myself, how I live and engage in the world, what feels like an expression of the uniquenesses that I possess and power. What is what is actually within? I know oftentimes we use power in a, a negative connotation, but right power, the agency that we each have inside of us, what's within our control. A lot of times we love to focus on what's outside of our control, but what's inside of our control that we can bear influence over, that we can engage in a way that is enjoyable to us, helpful, aimed at well-being, and then again, those relationship components. So I think as you're talking about garden and production of fruit and the power that that gives to have a plant, water a plant, eat from the plant, enjoy the plant, express yourself through the caretaking of the plant and have a relationship with the plant. That might be a little bit too far for some people, but sometimes I see my, I talk to my plants. I'm not going to lie. And I think this hits on that. Sometimes we want to make it so much more complicated than it is, but oftentimes it's in the simplicity of things where we can find voice, power, relationship that's life-giving. There's a lot that can be very helpful when we go through trying and difficult times. 
Absolutely. And speaking of difficult times, I'm so curious how you feel right now, especially with your work focused on mental health, money, being frugal. How are you feeling about the, well, I don't even know how to phrase it, the possibility of a recession, but some people feel like we're already in the recession at the end of of June 2022, but we also have inflation that's happening. How is that impacting you personally and professionally? What are you noticing as people respond and what things are you thinking about differently as we kind of go to a different financial time? Mm, Yeah, I think as I look at this, both my own experiences and the experiences of others, this has been a really tough time. Again, I'm, I'm almost clumping it into like even what we've come out of because where we've come from bears so much weight on where we currently find ourselves. So I think a lot of people are entering into what's happening right now already exhausted or worrisome. I certainly see a lot of fear and concern happening but I also see a lot of hope. I think where there is trauma, there's also post-traumatic growth. Where there is difficulty and suffering, there's also resilience. And so I see these things going hand in hand for people. And while there's difficulty and exhaustion coming out of 2020, 2021, I also see a lot of resilience built in people of Okay, yeah, I'm already not where I totally thought that I would have been at this point in life. And life has thrown us all a curveball. So, okay, how do we respond? That's not to say that there's not reactivity happening, but humans can be really amazing. And especially when we can find community and be supportive to one another, it it doesn't have to be as daunting. And so I am appreciative of the messages of hope that are happening, even in light of rising costs of living. I also feel, especially for marginalized communities who feel the weight and burden of what's happening even more so than those who come from more privileged backgrounds or whose jobs may not be as volatile as others. So it's also recognizing we're all in different places within the context of what's going on nationally and globally. But I think some of it is going back to what is within our control. How can we respond well? And if we are in a position of influence and privilege, how can we incorporate more of that community mindset to be able to help one another out? Certainly for me personally, I think this lifestyle lived of frugality has helped to provide a bit of an anchor and a buffering to some of this. A lot of what we talk about is having emergency funds and knowing how and when to cut savings or cut spending so that we can save more. And so for some, there's definitely a, okay, I can weather this. I have prepared for this and that's fantastic. Not everyone's in that position and there is no shame in that. And hopefully with the resources that are out there, we can help one another with knowledge, help one another with tangible resources and hope and support and community. But I think it's hitting all of us in different ways. All of it relevant, normal, valid, and just discerning how do we take the next 
right step in this and how do priorities need to shift as a result of this. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that we can make, especially related to finances, when finances are getting strapped, is is, is not paying attention to it, right? Maintaining our budget without taking into consideration the, cas- the fact that groceries and gas is costing us more, the fact that living is costing us more. And Oh, Whitney, there's so many layers that we could look at here because it's also so much on the macro level of what's happening in within the housing market and the way that that is pushing people out of homes in some a lot of areas, some very specific areas, you know, cities and places that are becoming more attractive to be living. I know it's happening a lot here in the Tampa Bay area. So there's a lot to consider. There's a lot that can be done on the macro, meso, micro level. And it's going to take each one of us and our our attention to the various levels and each one's skill set in it. I don't even know if I'm answering your question. I'm mostly just acknowledging that there's so much to this, but I appreciate messages of hope. I appreciate that too. And, and you said so many important things there. And one that I'm really resonating with in this moment is the community element of it. It's interesting because from a business standpoint, with my work on the marketing side, that's what I do for most of my income is uh, support small businesses with marketing and social media and, and just figuring out their place in the digital landscape. And a word that has been coming up so much over the past nine months online has been community. And so I've been spending a lot of time trying to understand like what makes a valuable online community. And it's interesting because my head's thinking of this from like the digital side, but what you're sharing is the more practical in real life side benefits of community. And I'm really curious to see if that rise of digital community is is just coming at a time where we need it in all aspects of our lives. Because part of it is that during the past two years, certainly we may have felt closer to people that we already cared for, right? Our friends and family. Maybe the pandemic has helped us appreciate one another more, hopefully. I mean, certainly it can go in the opposite direction if you have opposing views. But for me, I remember it made me prioritize spending time with my family. Part My road trip is actually a huge part of it. My road trips I take from California all around the country for the past two years and planning this year. And I just got immense joy out of seeing people in person, seeing family that I had either not seen in many years or I'd never been to their homes before because they lived in a part of country that I just didn't normally go to. And so I started to feel this deep desire to just spend time with people, right? But I also see community as the community beyond those friends and family. And it's interesting living in a city like Los Angeles, at least in the areas that I've been in, I might be kind of friendly with people that live in my building, but it's rare that I know anybody who lives in the next building over or across the street. And even if I kind of know them, I don't necessarily see them as people I can count on. But what if we work together more to support each other with things that 
we might struggle with, or we can share our skills with them. Like a perfect example is the gardening. You know, do I need my own garden? Or what if we had a community garden? Or what if my neighbor had a really big garden that I could help out with and then share some of their food? I recognize in so many people that have gardens that you typically have an abundance of food that you don't even know what to do with. And so certainly you could try to pack it all up, can it, for example, freeze it or compost it. But what if instead you gave it to someone else who needs it that doesn't have the time, resources or knowledge to have that? And I'm just starting to like think about community and and seek out ways to connect with people literally that are next door to me that I have no idea who they are. Like right now, as I'm recording with you, I can look out and see multiple buildings. I have no idea who those people are that live right across the street. And it's kind of nuts if you think about it from like a human history standpoint, like how many societies, I don't know this off the top of my head, but it seems from my limited knowledge on human society that we're probably in a rare time where we don't know our immediate neighbors. We don't have those communities where we're pulling resources and helping people. And I wonder if we're going in back towards that direction because we're going to need to lean on each other more. Well, and that would be a benefit of some difficulties, I think. I think being able to live life without relying on other people definitely is, in my estimation, one of the cons, if there was a pros cons list of where we've come to as a society in the States for many who are comfortable financially and with housing, that there's not a need to really rely on one another. And sometimes that means we're not engaging then either. I know so many people have the experience of, I drive my car to work. I park in the parking garage. I go in and may or may not even like encounter my coworkers, sit in a cubicle, come home, park in the garage, walk straight into my house and never need to interact with anybody outside of my experience. And there is something to be said for knowing your neighbors. and But again, I don't think that that's going to happen unless we engage in some non-traditional types of experiences. And there are some commitments and intentionality by people to formulate community. I think we were able to experience some of that, you know, going back to the RV circumstance, it's non-traditional. Parking on someone's yard is non-traditional. But because because of that, we were able to engage with whoever's property we were parked on. Actually, this is an interesting, fun little fact. The second RV that my husband and I lived in, smaller, it was 170 square feet and it was like a pull behind trailer that we attached to our car. And before the pandemic even began, so February 2020, we came down on a road trip to St. Petersburg, which is where I live now. But at the time I lived in, in outside Philadelphia came down in the RV, stayed. We were planning on just staying for the winter. And then you all know what came next. March 2020 happened. And we came to this realization of, but it's still really freezing up north and everything is shut down. And at least we don't have to worry about pipes freezing and you know not being able to 
go outside yet. In the north, it was just like you're stuck inside. And we live in 170 square feet. So we ended up staying longer. And we parked on the property of my co-host of the Frugal Friends podcast. So we I parked, we parked on her property. And what that turned into was so beautiful. I mean, granted, we were friends to begin with, but almost this communal living, which I know is not for everybody, but I think we got our own taste of community. Specifically at the beginning of the pandemic, we were able to be our own little COVID bubble and make meals and share things with one another and have some built-in friendship and conversation. And so, you know, we would just text each other each day like, hey, I got some potatoes. What do you got to add to the pot for dinner? And just really amazing that and that never would have happened if it weren't for some greater levels of intentionality. And I think living outside of the box in some ways, not everybody needs to live tiny, nor do I think that everyone should or that it needs to last a lifetime because it didn't for me. But I think to your point of what if I had a community garden or what if I had an opportunity for all of us to get together at the park and get to know one another and learn how we can support each other. I think it's beautiful. I think community is knowing and being known. I think that's what makes for a great community. And so whatever we can do, if this is a desire for us to move towards that, I don't think that it will just happen, but what can we do to be engaging in that knowing and being known process and having friends, but also responding to need and receiving. There's a reciprocity that I think can exist in that exchange. Absolutely. And I think it's helpful for me, at least, to keep that in mind because as I learn more about emergency preparedness, you know, I think about all these things that I might get for myself. You know, if the power goes out, like having a generator, if I have some food around that I can eat. And, you know, over the past few years, as I said, I think like we've had these interesting experiences where sometimes it feels like it's every man for itself. I mean, we look back to when the grocery store shelves were empty and there was no toilet paper and people hoarding things and then getting mad at somebody else. And it was like, okay, well, are you taking more than you need? So that might not be the best thing for your community. But you also can't fully blame someone for being so afraid They want to pile all their resources together because they don't know how much they're going to need in the future. And I think community starts to feel more like the answer because what if you can all just have a stockpile that you share? You know, it sounds so much easier than it actually is because then we add in, you know, all these different needs and all these different states of mental health that people have and the way that fear affects us. But it certainly had me thinking differently about things like, okay, like once I can take care of myself first, like, can I also have enough to share with other people? You know, Mm -hmm. what can I do to extend that and also developing more relationships? So I have other people around that I could, you know, ask things of. And it's interesting. I don't know if you experienced this. I'm from the East Coast too. So, you know, sometimes there's like an East Coast, West Coast mentality. I feel like I have a mix of it given where I grew up versus where I currently live in Los Angeles. Out here, it's interesting because, you know, it's a big city. So there's people everywhere and you just kind of get used to not knowing everybody. Because if you, if I tried to get to know everybody on my block, 
it would first of all take me a long time. I, you know, I would have to like create a database to remember everybody's <laughs> names, you know? And, and I think maybe as city dwellers, you just think like, oh, it's too much work to get to know everybody. Why do I need to know them? And you just kind of move on versus when I grew up in Massachusetts, it was the opposite because I was in a small town. So you at least knew the names of most of your neighbors and you kind of knew a little bit about them. And we would borrow things from each other, you know, and, and ask of things and create those relationships. But it's a lot different in the city where, mm. you know, you also have to manage the overwhelm. And I think there's like a total number of people that you can actually reasonably be friends with, <laughs> right? Isn't there some terminology Absolutely. for that? So Absolutely. it's like, if I counted up how many people just lived within my block, that probably is over the amount of people I could reasonably get to know anyways. We don't have unlimited capacity in any one of these categories of our mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, relational selves. We're not unlimited. We all have different degrees of capacity, but it's still limited in some way. And certainly there's no way that you would be able to have a meaningful relationship with every person in Los Angeles. And I don't even know if that's a great aim, but I do appreciate what's happening with some of these meetup groups around similar interests. And I think those are the types of communities that can be useful, especially when we hit difficult times that we don't just have to look for this when, when we reach difficulty and who's going to provide for me or who do I need to be provide for. People don't need to be projects in that way, but who can I connect with and have community where there is that reciprocity of giving and taking, knowing and being known. And it is in those types of settings that as needs arise, we can meet those needs for one another and support one another and care for one another. But it doesn't have to be everyone in Los Angeles, but it could be the people who enjoy mountain biking and they become their own little community or the people who enjoy gardening together and they become their own community. And that's what's so amazing, how many different hobbies there are out there and all the different types of niches you could find yourselves in. And that there's always a group for that, whether online or in person. I think finding your community, reaching out, putting some feelers out there, getting involved in some capacity is going to be how you find it. Absolutely. And you just reminded me of, I joined the Buy Nothing group for my area. And it's so fascinating because since Los Angeles is so big, it's broken down into all these different particular sections of the city. And you can only join the one that you, you live in, which I think is pretty smart. And I've used it a few times. One of it, which was I was looking for a VCR and none of my friends had a VCR. <laughs> surprise, surprise. But I, I was also kind of like, we're in Los Angeles. At least one of you should have one. No one did. So I thought, okay, I'll go on the buy nothing group thinking that someone would have one to give away. But instead, this woman responded to my post, which happens on, on Facebook. And you can go on there and say, like, I'm in need of a VCR. And instead of someone saying, oh, here, you can have mine for free, she said, well, I'm going to keep mine, but you're welcome to come borrow it from me for as long as you need it. So I went down the street and got it from her. And she was like the nicest woman, a complete stranger. But just by her 
very kindly offering me to borrow something. And she trusted me to bring it back to her. And I remember thinking, wow, like it's so nuts that a stranger can trust you in that way of a possession of theirs, you know? And it brought back that hope, as you mentioned before, like, wow, okay. Sometimes when we have these experiences with our community, Mm -hmm. it brings us more hope because we can also identify these thoughts that we have for me at least carrying around of, you know, beware of strangers and like, you don't trust people and maybe thinking that somebody is going to do something cruel or or take advantage of you. But those moments where someone trusts you to do something Mm -hmm. and it created this, this whole trusting relationship together. And I could probably message this woman now and, you know, borrow her VCR anytime I wanted. And I've just thought that's so cool, but a great example of how many neighbors probably have something that I could use instead of buying, which speaking of frugal, how much money could we save if we just shared some equipment, you know? And you wouldn't have had that experience if you hadn't done something new and maybe even for some people unusual of a buy nothing group and borrowing from a stranger and the beautiful transaction that came out of that experience is so amazing. I think, you know, to this conversation about, oh, we might be entering into a recession and what does that mean? And certainly there's fears and anxieties and that's normal and okay, but also what it can produce of of the creativity and the problem solving and the community. I think about my grandmother grew up in the depression. And I think some of the things that people learned through the depression era are can be relevant for us today, certainly when we find ourselves economically in a difficult position. But even if we are experiencing difficulty in our own personal financial lives, there is some really beautiful stuff that happened during the Great Depression that I think can be implemented on and is being implemented on of borrowing, of trading, of spending less, of conserving our resources, of not just going for convenience, but what is a way to recycle this item or reuse this item and not just being so flippant with the things that we have. I think that that certainly goes hand in hand with frugality, but also when there's concerns about finances, there is still a pathway forward that can engage creativity, problem-solving, new experiences, life-giving experiences, community relationships. It's There's both and. I think that's maybe one of my takeaways that it doesn't ever have to be all bad and awful and doom and gloom or all good and amazing and rainbows and sunshine, but sometimes they go hand in hand and looking for where is that silver lining? Where is the sustenance within? what we're experiencing. Absolutely. And those are such powerful words during this time. And your whole way of talking about this and your positive energy that feels so authentic to me is is also a beautiful example of hope, you know, because I feel like sometimes thinking about trying to save money or being frugal can feel daunting, especially if you're not used to it. It can feel like you're cutting back or you're restricting or, oh, I have to do this now. And and just, you can get just immersed in the negativity of feeling like 
money is not on your side and you have to do something. But one of my takeaways with you is I feel inspired to do all of these things. All these things sound fun and exciting and not easy necessarily, but maybe they're a greater source of joy. Certainly for Mm -hmm. me, another thing I felt joy on is last year, and we didn't talk about debt at all, but we could touch upon it briefly before we wrap is, well, actually you did talk about paying your debt, I suppose, and and avoiding some debt with your school, right? For me, I had credit card debt and I had, it was building up for about 11 years and I just kept putting it off. Like I just thought, eh, it's not that much money. The interest isn't that high. And when my income would fluctuate, I would just put things on my credit cards and it was nice. And I would find these moments of feeling guilty about that or bad about that. Like, ah, I'm a bad person for putting things Mm -hmm. on my credit card. This isn't good. And then there are moments of thinking, wow, like actually I'm so grateful I have these credit cards that I can put money onto during this time where my income's lower and my expenses are higher. And then there was a turning point for me when (laughs) I looked at all the interest I was paying and how much more was ahead of me if I kept on that path. And I thought, let me just see if I can pay this off in a year. So I created a plan for myself and did it last year in 2021. And that was great. You know, (laughs) I felt really good. I still have car payment debt. I have like two years left to pay my car off. But the freedom that not having the credit card debt was really wonderful. And then what it turned into is the money that I was paying using to pay off my credit cards, I turned that into paying for savings. Mm-hmm. And now I'm actually pay- putting more into my savings than I was paying off my credit card, which felt like such a big stretch. I mean, I had really pushed the limits of the money that I had in order to pay off that credit card and e- their credit cards in a year. But it actually taught me a little bit of more discipline and it gave me a, a important goal. And then by transitioning that into my savings, which is now part of preparedness, it's been so deeply rewarding. So I don't look at it mm. as restriction. I'm like yeah. so excited to put money into my savings account. Sometimes I just open it up and stare at the numbers. <laughs> Do you ever do that? Oh, oh, I am in my budget a lot for sure. And I love what you're describing here of mindset shift, really, that not too much changed for you, but your view on the thing of whether it's restrictive or it aligns with your goals and is going to be life-giving for you in the long run. One of the things my co-host Jen and I talk about a lot is that debt is neutral. I know that you're going to get a lot of messages out there in the personal finance space, but we believe debt is neutral. It can be a tool. It is not a place we want to set up camp long-term, but sometimes necessary. And of course, debt can come in different shapes and sizes and forms. And the interest rate is primarily what you want to be looking at. For us, anything above 7% is considered high interest rate. You want to be looking at that. But really, it's what's going to provide you emotional, relational, mental, physical bandwidth? What's going to feel 
life-giving, like well-being to you. And it sounds like you finally reached that point of, you know, this is draining me. This is depleting me rather than actually helping and aiding in my life. And, and I don't need this anymore. And there's creativity that can be implemented. There's some problem solving that I can engage in to pay that off in a year. Congratulations. That's so exciting. And we all are on our own journeys with that. And it doesn't happen overnight. We don't snap our fingers and suddenly we're in a great financial situation. There is no shame in where we find ourselves financially, but I think the hope is that we can take the next right step and take the next right step towards our own goals, our own values, what's going to be most beneficial for us both now and in the future, and not just staying stuck in one place that isn't actually beneficial for who we are. And so much of that has to do with that mindset of, are we viewing it as restrictive and stifling, or are we connecting it to our ultimate why? Why am I doing this? And potentially free freedom, life, future flexibility when I'm not tied to maybe different, you know, being beholden to debt for a lifetime. So lots of things to be said about that, but I'm mostly celebrating with you in the, some of the freedom you found in the mindset shift that now it's just, it's exciting. It's not restrictive. And oh, if I could help people understand that message and really allow it to take root, there is, there's so much freedom in the journey of life. But I think also in finances, it doesn't have to look cookie cutter or the way that some people might make it seem like it needs to look. It can be personal. Personal finance can be personal. Yes. And it also ties into what we've been talking about, uh, learning. It feels overwhelming to me sometimes the amount that I don't know about finances. But I, through the process of just slowly starting, paying off my debt, I barely knew anything about credit scores. I didn't pay any attention to my credit score until I started paying off my debt and watching it go up. I was watching my debt go down and my credit score go up and it was so rewarding and made me excited each month to pay off more, even though paying off my debt required me to be frugal in some new ways. It was so worth it. And then this year, 2022, with being about savings, I learned about high yield savings accounts and I, you know, and then I started playing the credit card game. I actually kind of ironically got, just got a new credit card about a week ago because I, I really wanted to start building up travel rewards points. And I had a guest on this show a little while back. I think it was probably last year while I was paying down my debt. His name is Owen. And he talked about using credit cards to travel. And that felt so overwhelming to me. But through the process of paying down my debt on my old cards, I rose my credit card score. I brought my debt down. So I was able to apply to get a really cool credit card that I probably wouldn't have qualified for before. And in the process of getting that new travel credit card, two great things happened. One, I started to learn about how travel credit cards work, which felt just deeply overwhelming and just like figuring a few things out and starting off with a card. I don't know if you do any of this, Jill, but like Mm -hmm. there are so many options when it comes to travel cards. I felt overwhelmed and I thought, I'm just going to get the one that that feels the most joyful to me right now. And that's my starting point. It's like getting an, a, my first plant for the garden. <laughs> it doesn't have to be the perfect plant. It's just getting me started. 
And because I had paid down my debt, because I raised my credit score, and because I developed the discipline to pay off the card every month, I got a really great card with all sorts of amazing perks, including a bunch of bonus miles. And the amount of money they gave me for that card, like the total credit I have on that card is the most I've ever been given. So now like my total credit limits are just like beyond what I I thought I would ever have, which I guess in that in itself could be very tempting. I hope I don't get back into a place of wanting to put money on there, but I've developed the discipline. So it's easy for me to pay off that card every month and not accrue more interest. But playing the credit card game is actually making me money because most cards have all sorts of points. So you can learn about all these strategies to make your money kind of work for you. So now I charge like everything to my cards, which went completely against how I used to live. But because I pay them all off right away, I get all the perks from it without putting me back into debt. And so if you had asked me a year ago if I'd be doing this stuff now, like I probably wouldn't have believed it. But it just happened over time through learning a little bit over and over, just like we talked about with gardening and living in an RV and road trips and all of these things we've discussed today. I think one of the biggest takeaways is that if we can just start and learn, and I loved what you said about gardening, how instead of trying to learn it all before you started, you started and then you learned the things that you needed to know because you're so right. If you just sat down and read gardening books, you take in all this information that would be kind of meaningless to you because you hadn't even started yet. And maybe that wouldn't even apply to what you were doing. So that's a huge takeaway for me. As I start to dabble more in gardening, I just want to start experimenting and not being afraid to mess it up because that's actually where I'm going to learn the most, just like you with your cucumbers, which I hope that you share with me what you learn. I want to know what the secret is because I want to grow some cucumbers too. (laughs) We'll get to the bottom of the cucumber fiasco for sure. I'm so thrilled to hear what your takeaways are. And thank you for sharing that with me, Whitney. I think Wherever we cannot allow overwhelm to totally hijack our endeavors, the better. I think it can be a barrier to starting. But if we can push past that initial overwhelm and just begin with one one small step, we can often find, oh, that thing was less daunting than I thought it was. For me, finance was that. The finance would not have been my first choice of a podcast to do. A lot of that had to do with my co-host. But beginning to step into it made me realize... There is room for all of us here. It doesn't have to look one way. I know it's a very male-dominated space and many people, for probably a variety of reasons, try and make finance seem as complicated as possible. And certainly there's a lot to know about it, but that doesn't mean that the rest of us are not capable of handling our own finances. We don't have to be so overwhelmed that it leads to paralyzation and we do nothing about it. You can start with a credit card and use it as a tool and learn more and grow and you don't have to know it all. And there are spaces where 
people are not going to make you feel dumb for what you don't know. Find those spaces. Don't find the spaces that are like, why don't you know this? You should know this. That's what the personal finance space felt like to me. And I'm so thrilled for some of the freedom we're able to bring into that community that no, it's okay to not know and, and ask questions and learn alongside one another. I think something in, in anything like how you've highlighted, whether it's tiny living or gardening or building community or fill in the blank with whatever excites us, but might feel a little daunting. There's resources, there's podcasts, there's books, there's people we can talk to, to just learn what's that next step. And I think engaging in that is, is part of that, taking the first step and pushing aside that overwhelm. Couldn't agree more. It's so beautifully said. You have such a great way with words, and I'm so thrilled to have had you here and to introduce people who didn't know about your podcast to it because it just sounds so lovely, and I can't wait to go dive into some episodes. And you've been doing that show for how long did you say? Three? Over three four years, years four now. Years. Yeah, April wow. was four years. So, gosh, oh where gosh. are we now? <laughs> yeah. And how many episodes? We just released episode 218. So about once a week, but we're soon going to move into two episodes a week, which is exciting. More free content for our community that we've built, which is fun. Amazing. So there's so much for someone to listen to. What's a favorite episode that you've done recently or one? What's the first one that comes to mind? Oh, goodness. I love our interviews. Honestly, I think no one can go wrong with interviews. Okay. (laughs) Let me see if I can get this one right. We did one recently on creativity over consumption. I want to say it was with Miranda, her perspective on resource, all types of resource and the way that we engage with resources and engage our creativity that was a really beautiful, that one's not, (laughs) that's not to say all of our other interviews weren't great, but that one's coming to mind. That one's standing out to me. That was a good one and probably would be a good crossover for your audience as well. Yeah. Perfect. We'll link to that episode. So it's a good starting point for someone who wants to check out the show and just continue this beautiful journey with all of Jill's wisdom and comfort. I would say this show's called This Might Get Uncomfortable, but I feel like you made it more comfortable, Jill. So <laughs> I didn't feel any discomfort with you today. Although these topics can be uncomfortable, you do such a beautiful job of bringing in ease and joy and hope. And I love that phrase, life-giving. I, I'm going to weave that into the title for this episode because it's not a term I hear that much, but it really embodies the work that you're doing. And I'm just so thrilled to have gotten to know you through our time together today. So thank you so much. I'll link to everything for the listener to make it easy over in our show notes at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. If you go there throughout the entire transcript, you'll find lots of resources that we've mentioned. And at the bottom, there's a resource list and then all of the links to connect with Jill and listen to her show as well. Thank you, Whitney. It has been a privilege to spend this time with you. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 